Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, the UK's financial crisis, how it started, how we can solve it and what it means for Liz Truss. We'll be joined by Denisha Kazi, Senior Economist at Positive Money, and Sam Bright from Byline Times, the author of Fortress London, why we need to save the country from its capital. Before that, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our must-read monthly newspaper. The current edition is being prepared as we speak, and it has exclusive content that you can't access online. We can report without fear or favour because there's no billionaire or shadowy corporation telling us what to say. Our funding comes from ordinary subscribers, people like you. So please, if you can, subscribe to the Byline Times. A subscription starts from as little as £3 a month. You get more details over at our website, bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. Denisha, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. And at Positive Money, you're all about trying to find new ways of dealing with money and finance so that the banking system works more positively for the people, for people like us, rather than just for the uh, the hedge funds and the, the people who run the banks. What's your take on the current financial crisis that UK finds itself in? I think our take on it is probably similar to a lot of people, which is that it's probably very unnecessary. It's the result of the mini budget that was announced a couple of weeks ago, which was markets reacting very badly to what they saw as a sort of budget that was very lacking in credibility, basically, politically and economically, which caused panic in the markets and saw government bonds being sold off, which led to an increase in borrowing costs for the UK government. And that feeds into the economy as well. So when we see UK borrowing costs rise, that feeds into the rest of the economy. And we see borrowing costs rise for ordinary people, households and firms. And that's where we see this as being quite sort of irresponsible by the government because it's having a huge impact on families who are struggling through working people and families struggling through a cost of living crisis. So that's really where we come in. We we sort of want to see a budget that has positive impact on people's lives, on the planet as well. We've got an energy crisis. So we want to see better policies that sort of are directed at dealing with our energy crisis and dealing with the current inflationary pressures we're seeing. And when you say that the markets didn't like it, what are we talking about here? Essentially, banks and other financial institutions essentially not trusting that sterling would hold its value and that the level of their investments would therefore be worth less? There are a lot of different kinds of investors out there that are usually happy to put their money into UK government bonds or gilts, as they're called. And it's normally seen as a safe haven. But it, once they sort of received the mini budget in a in a way that wasn't very politically astute as well, because there weren't any forecasts, that the usual OBR forecasts that come with it, they saw these sort of large sums of borrowing that would take place to fund tax cuts. And they also see at the same time, UK economic fundamentals aren't very good at the moment. Growth forecasts aren't good. Inflation, of course, is seen as deepening and worsening the cost of living crisis. But also we've got a twin deficit, fiscal deficit that would be increased by these tax cuts and a current account deficit. So there's all these economic fundamentals that aren't good. And what the markets were saying, that's all these financial institutions that normally 
happily lend to the UK government, what they were saying is, we're not that happy to lend to you anymore, certainly not at these low rates that we have been lending to you at. That had an impact on the pound as well, which we saw plunge because effectively people were selling off bonds. So they're, they're getting rid of assets that are in, denominated in pounds. So that saw it plunge quite dramatically. And ever since the pound has been quite unstable. So even yesterday when Andrew Bailey made his announcement about the end of emergency um, support, the pound plunged briefly as well. So the impact is basically investors, financial markets saying we don't have as much confidence in the UK government anymore to lend to the UK government. Andrew Bailey, of course, the the governor of the Bank of England. And uh, Sam, this causes a real problem, doesn't it, politically for Liz Truss, because she doesn't want to go back on the measures that were announced in Kwasi Kwarteng's mini-budget. She's already had to backtrack on one of them, which was the reduction in income rate for the highest earners. She doesn't want to have to backtrack on any more because that will leave her credibility as well as her economic strategy in tatters. Oh, gosh, yeah. She's in such a bind at the minute, which seems ludicrous considering that she only came to office about a month ago. She's really dug herself a hole. I mean, this all stems back to confidence, doesn't it? Both in economic terms from investors and hedge funds, etc., that don't have confidence in the government's mini budget and its, its fiscal plan. And that has fed through to political confidence. And we've seen the Tory approval rating tank in recent weeks. I mean, I think it's worth stressing as well the context in which trust came into power. We were on the back of months of scandal, headline after headline, and from Boris Johnson's few years in charge, you know, regarding the Partygate scandal before that corruption, which we've covered heavily at Byline Times. And so the Tory power politically was dwindling even when trust came into office, as was the UK's economic performance. And so to rush headlong into these tax and spending changes just seems like an act of gross naivety as much as anything else. And it's difficult to see how she can get out of this without losing credibility. If she sticks with the economic plan, there's a risk that the economic turmoil that we've witnessed over the last few weeks will continue and that the Bank of England, despite what Andrew Bailey has said, will have to continue to intervene to prop up the pound. If Liz Truss, on the other hand, says, OK, then I've listened to the markets, I'm going to do something different, then her whole ideology is called into question. The basis on which she stood as, as it were, disruptor in chief of the British economy won't have any credibility with her own party. Yes. And some have suggested that the solution to this might be to find a fall guy, someone to blame for this mess. And that person potentially being the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng. But, I mean, even that could have a majorly disruptive impact on the market. You can't imagine a Chancellor lasting five or six weeks going down particularly well amongst investors. And so it's, it is, it's going to be immensely difficult for Trust to rebuild her credibility, her political credibility and her economic credibility. We've obviously got a more substantial fiscal statement coming at the end of this month, Kwasi Kwarteng has announced that he's, brought, he's going to bring that forwards. And so I think what the, the government might attempt to do alongside attempting to explain how it will pay for these measures is potentially to tinker around the edges of them slightly, to make it appear as though they haven't U-turned, 
when in actual fact they will have altered course somewhat. Denisha, if a government finds that its bonds are being sold off because investors don't have confidence in them, that's really a worrying thing, isn't it? My understanding of bonds, or as you say in the UK, they're called gilts. Essentially, the government says, lend us X amount of money and we will guarantee to repay that with interest at a certain time, or you might have the interest paid at certain points within the term of that bond. So if investors are selling those off, fearful, presumably, that they might not get the value from them, from the government, that's a a sign of deeply worrying economic uncertainty in this country, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. What they're saying also is that if we do lend to you, it will be at much higher rates now. So a lot of people selling off, and that's why we saw pensions sector come into a bit of trouble. Elements in the pension sector had difficulty with liquidity, but we've also seen the Bank of England having to step in with emergency support, even though they've said that they will stop that on Friday. I, I suspect there'll be other ways in which they expand support that might not be called emergency. They have expanded sort of term funding schemes to the pension sector. So, so allowing the pension sector, say, to borrow from them on different terms, easier terms. So they will have to continue support until you know the government gets round to actually providing some detail on how they will fund this budget and there's still quite a lot to account for so there was the 45p u-turn that was only accounting for about 2 billion of 45 billion in tax cuts so they still have to show a great deal about how they'll pay for this budget and so markets will continue to be concerned And as I was saying before, other fundamentals in the UK economy are not very good. That's also what markets are looking at. We have a higher current account deficit and the real sources of inflation aren't really being addressed by either the government or the Bank of England. And I think that's something not many people are really talking about, which is that the Bank of England's approach to interest rates isn't really touching the edges of the inflationary crisis we see because it's not able to deal with the real sources of inflation. It's not so much about too much money or too much spending. It's about external forces in the energy market and what's going on globally after coming out of the pandemic, supply side issues. And we're not seeing any of the government's policies actually address those longer term factors. Another element is the bank and the treasury pulling in different directions. The treasury wants to do these tax cuts, these sort of unfunded tax cuts, which is sort of putting more money into the economy. And the Bank of England wants to see tightening. So what we need to see is them working together to deal with the true causes of inflation at the moment. Yeah, I mean, part of the government's defence is that many of the forces driving inflation are beyond their control, that these are global issues, that interest rates are rising globally. We've got Putin putting his boot to the neck of European gas supplies and so on. To that extent, they have a point, don't they? On the surface, it might sound like they have a point. I mean, yes, interest rates are rising across many countries at the moment, but certainly there hasn't been the reaction by the markets to other countries the way they they reacted to our country. So that was definitely a very uniquely British response to the budget. In terms of the energy crisis, yes, this is happening across the world, but the reality is that there are options for us. There are policies that will allow us to deal with this in in terms of the long-term strategic approach to the energy sector, to shifting to renewables and planning for our energy needs in a different way. And the longer we we kind of put off those policies, 
the more they become difficult to implement. In terms of immediate support, there are options as well there that the government's refusing to sort of consider, which is targeted support to the most vulnerable, those on the lowest incomes, those on universal credit, the sort of struggling families. That would make a lot more sense than tax cuts for the rich. And I think the markets really recognise that the budget didn't really touch the edges of this. Sam, some of the moves that the government have made in recent days, including capping the price of energy. Now, on the face of it, many people would cheer for that. But if you're capping the price of renewable energy, that means you make it harder for green energy companies to make a profit, to invest in more green energy. We've seen the moves against having solar panels on farms. So the kind of changes that we could be making to wrestle back control of our energy supplies are in the opposite direction of the policies being promoted by Liz Truss. Yeah, we've had quite a few really interesting articles this week on Byline Times about the government's green policies, particularly in recent times and since the party came to power in 2010. Notoriously, David Cameron, after hugging Huskies uh, before coming to power, pledged to cut all the green crap. And so there wasn't nearly enough investment in retrofitting of homes, in insulation of homes, in the the basic fundamentals of developing a renewable energy system that was fit for the 21st century. And now that we've seen COP last year, which I think most people would recognise as probably one of Boris Johnson's leading achievements. He didn't have many, but one of them, I think, was that he was particularly strong on the green agenda. It was a lot of rhetoric from the government, but there was some substance backing it up as well. And the problem is now, like you say, that Liz Truss seems averse for some reason to this sort of innovation that her philosophy on politics would, you'd think, lend itself towards. She's all about facilitating the market to enhance technology and to become entrepreneurial and for Britain to lead the way in the modern world. And yet, like you say, she seems to have quite a uh, quite a medieval attitude to particularly solar panels. And we've got an article coming up in the next couple of days that shows that there's quite a powerful anti-green lobby within the back rooms of the Conservative Party, within the Tufton Street think tanks, and particularly the Global Warming Policy Foundation, which is quite substantially backed by big conservative donors, which we suggest, you know, might be one of the reasons why Liz Truss is not quite so sympathetic towards the green agenda, because as we know, she's very close to these Tufton Street groups. Denise, there is something dysfunctional, isn't there, about our energy market? And when we've discussed the rising price of energy on the podcast before, this has been raised so that, for example, the international wholesale price of gas determines the price of electricity. So there has been talk, not only from people like Liz Truss, but people on the left, that we should sever that connection. But the practical impact of that will be to ensure that renewable energy companies will get smaller revenues from the energy that they sell, and that will hamper their ability to invest in new green energy projects. What's really important here is that we need to see the government making the right moves in the energy market. We need to see them being willing to invest in infrastructure and different kinds of companies and products being set up. Um, The whole sort of long supply chain of renewables needs to be invested in by government. And that's the role government can play. They can play that sort of lender of last resort, I guess. 
and prop up these sectors and help them get over the initial difficulties of setting up and becoming profitable. That's the role government normally plays and has played historically in a lot of sectors. That's what we really need to be seeing. But also there are other elements to it, which I think Sam mentioned, which is all the around the retrofitting, supporting households in terms of their energy needs and switching to less wasteful energy practices. So the government has a big role to play in the energy market and taking us away from a dependence on volatile fossil fuels. It's something that would take a long term. It's a strategic approach. It's not going to happen overnight. But there is just no uh, sort of effort to make moves in that direction, which is worrying. And there have been suggestions in the last day or so, Sam, that if Liz Truss is forced to backtrack on Kwasi Kwarteng's emergency budget, perhaps he could be the full guy, but perhaps Conservative backbench MPs will decide that she has to go as well. So suggestions that maybe Penny Mordaunt and Rishi Sunak might somehow assume power themselves. I mean, at what point do we say, yes, there's an element of this, which is the way we've always done things in Britain, but that actually we can't keep chopping and changing governments without the public having the right to elect democratically their own government. If Liz Truss, selected by the Conservative Party members, remember, not particularly popular amongst her own MPs when they voted for her, if she isn't fit for purpose in the eyes of the Conservative Party, can we really justify another Conservative government led by somebody else? It's balmy. It is properly balmy. The fact that they can continually play musical chairs in Downing Street and we're just spectators on the outside. And I, I see this repeatedly when I tweet about this issue. I articulate that view, Adrian, that we, we need a general election. I don't think that this government has a mandate. I don't think Liz Trust has a mandate to cut taxes and cut public spending. That is exactly the opposite of what Boris Johnson pledged in 2019 at the general election and in 2016, which was the foregrounding, essentially, of the 2019 general election. But people say, well, then the rules, you know, then the breaks, as Boris Johnson famously said as he departed Downing Street. We simply don't have a system in which we can trigger a general election now without the government calling for it itself. And so I think this might lead to more fundamental claims about altering our democratic system to ensure that in future this can't happen again. Ensuring that we do have a democratic system, in fact. Uh, uh, Denisha, economically, is there any way out of this for Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng? The main response that we should get from them is to reverse the tax cuts that Mm. they've proposed that are unfunded and start looking at policies that sort of target support to the people that need it the most at the moment to get through the cost of living crisis and also start looking at policies that would really address these um, inflationary pressures that are external. I don't think it's good enough to say that these are external so we can't deal with them. I think there are policies out there that have been suggested that can help with a long-term approach to taking us away from fossil fuels. Also, I think really importantly, they need to start thinking about showing that they have the willingness to put out the OBR forecast, put out kind of the, the funding, how they're going to fund their policies. So it's not just these tax cuts, but any budgetary practices they do put out, they need to show that they're willing to to follow the the protocol on that so that that gives them credibility as well. And finally, I think the Bank of England also has to take steps as well, because their policies just aren't going to deal with 
the kind of crises we're facing at the moment, multiple crises. So the Bank of England sort of aggressively increasing interest rates isn't going to be helpful. It's going to take us into a deeper recession. So they also need to think about what kind of policies they can promote that would take us away from a recession. Things like credit guidance policies, things that ensure money is being directed to where it needs to go, investments in renewables and things like that, investments in small businesses, more support to small businesses through the financial sector. So not everything has to be hinged on just interest rate hikes, because that's going to really hit struggling families and businesses hard in the coming months. Thank you, Denisha. Uh, that's Denisha Kazi, Senior Economist at Positive Money. Thanks also to Sam Bright from the Byline Times and author of Fortress London, Why We Need to Save the Country from Its Capital. I'm Adrian Goldberg. You've been listening to the Byline Times podcast funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper. Do take out a subscription if you can. You get full details over at bylinetimes.com. We'll be back again soon. In the meantime, Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.